Well, we spent the summer looking at this uh, great Hebrew word, uh, hesed, and all of the, the, the sort of the meanings that go with in this, in this rich word that, that we don't have any English words that can capture the heart, but because all of those words that Dave uh, made this great banner for is, is captured in this, this central characteristic of God's heart in the Old Testament, this idea of hesed. And uh, today is our last one in that series, and so we're going to look at uh, another way of dealing with Hesed, and not just the receiving of Hesed that we've been talking about and thinking about all summer, but how actually it gets passed on. Uh, before we uh, get into that, let's pray one more time. You are the everlasting God, and you are full of goodness. As you said through your prophet Jeremiah, you are Hesed. You are grace, you are faithfulness, you are loving kindness, you are patience, you are mercy. Oh, you are the covenantal God. And as we think uh, just one more time about some of the implications of that for our life, again, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and to speak to our hearts and to do your good work and to transform us into people who reflect the very character of you, our Father. We pray through Jesus. Amen. So, do you ever get that, what do you want from me feeling? I'm sure that, that all of us have had some, some sense of it. I was thinking about this this past week because of some of the study I was doing. I thought, I'm just going to look up some movie clips about you know, people saying, what do you want from me? And, and actually, if you do that, if you kind of Google it there, you'll find there's a whole bunch where there's all kinds of scenes where somebody's saying to one another, what do you want from me? Usually it's a guy talking to his wife or his girlfriend or this sort of thing. That's typically what it is. And it's often a sense of frustration, but not always. Sometimes it's just an honest question. Hey, what can I do for you? What do you want from me? You know, as Christians, I think as followers of Jesus that, that perhaps we should ask that question of God. It would be perhaps a good thing to, to sort of wake up each morning and say, Lord, what do you want from me? What does this day hold? What do you want from me? How can I respond to you? How does that go? Sometimes the truth be told. Maybe I'm the only one that feels this way because, you know, I wrestle lots with stuff. But sometimes it's an expression of frustration to God. I mean, sometimes it's kind of like, you know, we do our best. We try this. We try that. We follow this. We think we're hearing God. We do those things. And things just fall flat. It's just a frustration. And sometimes I find myself turning to God and saying, what do you want from me? What am I supposed to do in this situation? I've tried this. I've tried that. What do you want from me? Now, the reason I was thinking about that is because I was studying the prophet Micah. Now, Micah is one of those little guys called one of the minor prophets. Towards the end of the Old Testament, there's like 12 you know, minor prophets. It's not minor because they're little, and it's not minor because they don't count for much. They're minor because they're very short books. Now, now Micah, he lived about, about 700 years before Jesus, okay? And he was a, a prophet, mostly to Judah, although he also talked to Israel too. Remember, we looked at that whole divided kingdom things. Now, things were bad, as things tend to be in the times of the prophets, both socially and religiously. Things, the, the people were corrupt. The rulers were corrupt. The governors were corrupt. 
the priests were corrupt, the prophets were corrupt, or some of them at least, and, and there was this influence of these uh, false gods creeping in, and there was, the big thing in Micah, you'll see, is that the rich and the powerful were oppressing the poor. And so Micah is known as sort of the champion of the poor, the champion of uh, uh, the rural rubes out there who were being oppressed by the landowners. There was this, these false gods coming in, and, and there was this facade or this um, veneer of religiosity amongst the people. They sort of had the form of religion. They sort of went through the motions of worshiping Yahweh, a God, uh, but it really wasn't there. And it's in the midst of this that the people kind of cry out to him and give this demand of God, what do you want from me? So it happens in the midst of it. Really a better question would be for Micah, what does a broken-hearted God want? What does a broken-hearted God want? Because we see, if you read Micah, you'll see that God's heart is broken and shattered because of how his people is. And so uh, let's take a look at, at this plea, or this, this, that starts off with a plea of a broken-hearted God to the people, and then they respond. Let's look at Micah chapter 6. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. You see what's going to happen? This is legal, a court language. This is like God is taking his people to court, okay? Let the hills hear what you have to say. They're the witnesses. Hear you mountains at the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundation of the earth. This is serious stuff. I'm taking you to court. For the Lord has a case against his people. He's lodging a charge against Israel. Now, it sounds like he's going to be really aggressive here, doesn't it? It sounds like I'm going to take you to court and now you are going to pay. You are going to have problems because of how you've been treating me. But actually what happens is he goes on, instead of being aggressive, he sort of reveals his broken heart in verse 3. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? How have I made it rough for you? That's what it means. Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you and also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember. Remember Balak, king of Moab, plotted. And what Balaam, because Balaam wanted, wanted the prophet God to curse his people. Remember how he plotted and what Balaam, son of Boa, answered. He said, no, I'm going to bless. Remember your journey from Sidon to Gilgag that you may know the righteous acts of the land. This is God saying, listen, I have been faithful to you. I've showed you hesed. I've kept my promise. I've kept my covenant. I've treated you well. I've loved you and I've cared for you. I've blessed you and other people want to curse you and, and wonder how is it that you repay me? You allow spiritual influences and greed to govern your lives. You only want a religious pat on the back. You want my prophets just to say what a great person you are. Aren't you wonderful? God is going to bless you. And that's all you want to take because you want to keep some, some form of religion. But really carry on with all of this bad stuff. And oppress and deny and go and chase after other gods. It sounds a lot like our society, to be honest with you. And so God kind of comes and he, he says, answer me, what are, you, what are you doing? This is what I've done, and why are you treating me this way? And so, and so now the people sort of give a defensive response, okay? Here's their argument in the court case. Here we go, some of verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves, a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, 
with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? This is them coming back. What do you want from me? Do you want more religion? Do you want more offerings? Shall we give you tens of thousands of cattle? Shall we give you all of the wealth that we have? And shall I go and cut rivers of oil and olive oil in those sacrificial things? Now, do you in fact want the ultimate expression of what I can do? Shall I sacrifice my son to you like these people do to the pagan gods? But instead, of course, that being the ultimate expression of worshiping God, it's the ultimate expression that they don't know God's heart at all. Because God is not the God who takes the sacrifice of children. You see, they somehow thought that it was all about the form of religion. All about these systems that were done. Now, God had set up the forms. God had set up the sacrificial system. God had set up the temple. God had set up uh, all of the things that, that, that went into that sort of thing. But what they didn't get is that these things were to be an expression of a heart of devotion. Not form, not ritual, not just coming because that's the thing that we do as followers of God. No, but an expression of what's really going on in our heart. And this offer to kill children was the great statement that they had no idea, no idea of the God that they served. They had no idea of true what true worship of this Lord was all about. No idea of what God wanted. And so they cried out, so what do you want from us, God? We're doing all this ritual. We're there every Sabbath. We're doing all of these different things. What do you want? Do you want more of this? Do you want more songs? Do you want more offerings? What do you want? And so God says, I'll tell you what I want. I want you to do Hesed. Verse 8. He's shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to act justly and to love Hesed and to walk humbly with your God. We know that passage. Back in the olden days, we used to sing it. Back in ancient history, in the 80s and stuff, we used to sing that. Right? This is, God says, listen, I've, I've shown you. The idea there is I've made it absolutely plain to you what I want. You don't have to guess what I want. You don't have to cry out in frustration. I've told you and I've shown you by demonstration of how I act. I've shown you exactly what it is to be good and what I want for you. You know, we sometimes think that we know what is good. And we like to define what is good. And we like to define what God requires. It's part of the whole problem from the very front end is that we think better than God what is good and what is right. And as soon as we start down that path, we end up in trouble. But God says, no, listen, I'm going to explain something to you. I need to reveal to you what good is because you don't know what good is. And if I leave it to your imagination as to what good is, you'll come up with all kinds of wacko things like tens of thousands of cattle and rivers of oil and sacrificing your children. That's not good. So I've told you what is good and I've told you what is required. That word there means, I, I've told you what I search your heart for. I've told you what I examine your life for. I've told you what I come to you and I look at your life and what I demand from you as people who are in covenant with me. I've told you what that is and what is it? 
that I expect from you? What is it that I want from you? Well, it's our word for the summer. It's this central gem sitting in words associated with hesed, justice and humility. But in the center of it all is this word hesed. Most of the translations you'll have loving kindness or mercy is the way in which we know it. God says, that is what I want for you. Hesed. We are to love hesed. We're to incline our hearts towards it. We're to make it the priority of our life. We're supposed to clear stuff out of the way of our life so that we can do hesed. Because you need to understand this hesed and this loving hesed, it's never just an attitude of the, of the heart. It's never just a nice thought that we have. If you understand hesed, as we've seen through the summer, hesed is always action. It's always something that we do. And so when God says, listen, I've told you what I want you to do. I want you to do hesed. I want you to make sure that justice is carried out in the places where you work, in your neighborhood, in your society, in your personal relationship. I want you to do that. I want it to be merciful. I want it to be an attitude of humility where you don't think that you can lord it over somebody else because you're a landover and they're just serfs or because you have authority and they don't, or you have this ability and they don't. No, I don't want that. I want you to do hesed. It is something that you do. As a matter of fact, it is something that I require of you. You see, one of the things about hesed is this. It's reciprocal. It's not a legal thing. It's kind of this weird stuff. Scott and I would have many conversations about this because, you know, what's law and what's an obligation and what's expected. It's kind of a tension, but, but here's the deal. The idea with hesed is once we have received hesed, which we have from God, there's an expectation of the giver of hesed that we'll pass that hesed on. That once we've received mercy, we will be merciful. That once we've received grace, we will be gracious. That once we've received forgiveness, we will be forgiving. Once we have received faithfulness, we will be faithful. And so God requires it because by the very nature, if you're going to take my hesed, if you're going to receive these things from my life, then my expectation of you, what delights me in you, is when you do hesed. And the second reason you have to do it is because you are in a covenant relationship with each other. And we do hesed to be in covenant with each other. It's to do hest to God, to worship him, to love him, but also to do hest with each other. That's why this is a covenantal meal. And when you partake of this meal, you're saying, I'm in covenant not only with God, but with each other. And the expectation of being in covenant with each other is that we will be faithful, that we will be loving kind to each other, that we will be merciful and gracious and forgiving and true. We've spent this time in the summer looking at the central quality of God's character. All of these marvelous words that hesed means. And what God says, we want to know what I expect of you, what I require of you, what I examine your life for, is that these things mark your life in your relationship with other people. That we do hesed. That we do Hesed. That we be a people of Hesed. That I am a person of Hesed by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the thing is, this is God's consistent message throughout the Bible. We can jump back a generation. 
to show that this is God's consistent desiring of his heart. It's a heart of Hesed. We can go back a generation from, from Micah and go to Hosea, which we looked at just a couple of weeks ago. Remember the, uh, Hosea the whole day? Listen to what he says. Listen. I brought you up out of Egypt and I redeemed you from the land of slavery. Sounds familiar, right? I've done Hesed for you. I sent Moses to lead you and also, oh, hey, who? Oh, no, this needs to be Hosea. No wonder it sounded familiar. All right, that's okay. I will now do the old-fashioned thing. <laughs> this is a book. <laughs> and in this book, there is writing. And here's what it says. What can I do with you, Ephraim? That was his pet name for his people. What can I do with you, Judah? Your hesed is like the morning mist like the early dew that disappears. Therefore I cut you to pieces with my prophets and I killed you with the words of my mouth. Then my judgment shall go forth like the sun. In other words, I, I've spoken to you about this stuff. I've, I've convicted you about this stuff. And here we go. For I desire mercy. I desire hesed, not sacrifice. An acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings remember a few weeks ago we looked at this whole story of of Hosea and how he married Goma this unfaithful adulterous wife and and we realized that we in fact are Goma we're the ones that wander away from God and that even after God pursued her and pursued us even after God wooed uh, Israel back they kept going after other gods and God's saying to Hosea listen what I want is I want hesed not sacrifice what I want is your faithful, loving heart towards me that you work out in life towards other people. Not just these forms of religion which you've been carried on. What I desire is hesed, not sacrifice. Not just the form, not just the ritual. What I'm looking for is the expression of your love for me, your faithfulness for me in worship and in love for one another. We don't only have to go back behind Micah to get this message. We can jump way ahead a few hundred years and come to Jesus. Because Jesus, in, in the ninth chapter of Matthew, like you might remember the story. He's there, he, he's, he's gathered together with Levi, who's going to be Matthew, and a whole bunch of tax collectors. And the Pharisees, the, kind of the guardians of, of the ritual, the guardians of the law, they're gathered around and they're watching him. So as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told me. And Matthew got up and followed him while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. There he is, right? Many tax collectors, sinners, all the bad guys, all the people of low repute, they're all gathering around. They come and eat with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with these tax collectors and sinners? What is he doing? Doesn't he understand that that's going to make him unclean? Doesn't he understand that these people are ritually bad doesn't he understand this is going to wipe him out and on hearing this Jesus said it's not the healthy you need a doctor but the sick but go and learn what this means I desire mercy I desire hesed not sacrifice for I've not called come to call the righteous but the sinner Jesus quotes Hosea he goes back and says, listen, this is always what I want. You Pharisees, you keepers of religious order, know and learn that what I require from you is hesed, 
What God looks for is hesed, not ritual. All of these words that God requires, God delights in, God looks for in our life, it's hesed from beginning through end because we have received from God and because we've received from the God, hesed, God said, now you must pass hesed on. Because we are in covenant with each other, we do this. And so Jesus says to each one of us, now listen, we spent the summer talking about all these different things, friendship and largesse and goodwill and faithful covenants. Now go and learn what it means. Go and learn what it means to live this out in your life and in your relationships because that's what I'm examining your life for. That's the measuring stick I'm going to stand you against. Hesed. Faithfulness to me and to others. So how do we learn hesed? Well, I suppose we can start off with the context that Jesus and he's in the... This, those are the Pharisees, and he's saying, listen, you need to learn hesed. You need to learn to love outcasts. You need to learn what it is to, to sit around and have relationship with and treat with dignity those people that society says they're not worthy. They're wrong. But you need to learn how to do that. You need to, you need to learn hesed. You need to learn to offer forgiveness for those even who've wronged you. That's hesed. As I thought about, well, Lord, there's got to be more to learn about Hesed than that. What am I doing? As I, as I was praying through that and thinking, how do we learn Hesed? I was kind of drawn back to where we began, back to Micah. Because that's God saying, listen, this, this is my Hesed to you. And, I, and what I want from you in response to my Hesed is that you would show Hesed. So how do we learn Hesed from Micah? Well, we go back to those first five verses where God says, this is my Hesed to you. This is how I've shown it. This is what it means to do hesed. And he starts off by saying, what am I burdened with you with? You know, that to do hesed is to not overburden people with expectations and demands that they can't meet. It's easy to do that, isn't it? To start being self-focused and starting to place expectations and demands on other people, our children, for example. It's just, it's just the bar is too high. And it becomes a burden. And God's saying, listen, when you're in relationship with people, the idea is not for you to place too heavy a burden upon. Now, of course, there's relationship and there's responsibilities and all this sort of thing. We understand that. But God's saying, listen, I was never overburdening with you. I never put more on you than you can handle. Then he goes on and he says, listen, you know what I did? I delivered you from slavery. It's why we choose some of the missions organizations that we choose. It's why we support Rising Above here in town. What are they doing? They're saying we are helping people break the cycle of defeat in their life. They are enslaved to addictions. And through the power of Jesus, we're going to help them break that. It's why we support the SA Foundation. They work around the world to help young girls, and I mean girls and women, break out of being sold into sexual slavery. And of course, it's our great calling in our life as followers of Jesus for people who are wrapped up in all kinds of slavery to whatever kind of sin that's got them captured from greed to being oppressive and to break them out of that through Jesus. It's to show hesed when we do these things, when we help people break out of whatever it is that has them trapped, we're doing hesed. And then he says, listen, I've supplied you with, with Moses. 
Somebody to give you some leadership to take you out of that, to walk with you in it. Because it's one thing to go to somebody who's trapped in sin or in some kind of addiction and just say, hey, you know what? You need Jesus and away you go. No, no, no. God sent Moses to walk with the people. And to do hesed is to walk with for a long time. As frustrating and as damaging as it is sometimes. I mean, you look at Moses. How often did he get ticked off at his people, right? He's always, all right, I give up, God. You say, you know. But no, he kept on going with them. To lead them, to walk with them, to keep pointing to God in spite of the stumbling and even rebelling against him. I sent Aaron, God says. I, I, I sent a priest. Aaron was the great priest. Priest just means a bridge. That's all it means. And to do hesed is to go to people that don't know the love of Jesus and the grace of Christ yet and to say, let me, can I just show you in my life in how I treat you and how I'm with you and in my voice to talk about how Jesus can reconnect you with the God who is life itself. And God says in verse 4 as well that I sent Miriam, this sister of Moses, this woman who was a prophet, this woman who spoke God's word to them, but also was a great worship leader. And to lead worship, to lead people's hearts, and to sing those songs, to dance before the Lord as Miriam did, is, is to do hesed to people. To somehow facilitate them and allow them to express the joy of, of in their heart because they know God. And then we carry on and what's doing hesed in verse 5. He says, don't you remember what Balak wanted? Balak wanted, he took Balaam the prophet. You remember the story, Balaam and the donkey? You remember that? You know, that's that weird story, you know, where... You know, he was going to curse and donkey spoke to him. And in the end he goes and, and Balak the king is saying, look at these people, it's Israel coming through the land. I want you to curse them because I know that you're a prophet. And Balaam's like, I can only say what God wants. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to speak blessing over these people. And to do hesed is to take those in our society who are cursed, those who are considered enemies, those who are pushed to the outside, and instead of joining in the gossip and the slander and the cursing, to bless. And to pray and to speak words of blessing and to do acts of blessing on the very people that everybody around you might say deserve to be cursed. And then we keep going in verse 5 and it talks about just before they entered, they left after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years that's this whole thing of Shishman Gilgal. It was going into the promised land as they crossed the river Jordan as Joshua led them across. Because you see, to do hesed is to be patient. And even after 40 years of rebellion, God said, no, I'm still going to be patient. I'm going to walk with you for 40 years. Man, do you know what it's like to walk with somebody for 40 years? I mean, sometimes it can be good for me. <laughs> It's hard when people are rebellious and stubborn and difficult. But to be patient and to still keep on moving towards the promised land. And then to get to the big barrier, which they did at the River Jordan. And then Joshua, the River Jordan dried up and they walked across. To do hesed is to remove the barriers that stand in people's lives. To do everything we can. If there's a block, if there's something stopping somebody, if there's something holding them up, if there's a block, to do hesed to them is to pray unto Almighty God and put all of our energy into removing that block so that they can enter into the promised land. That's what it means to do hesed. 
It's what it means when God brings people into our lives who are trapped to remove those barriers and invite them into the promised land. That's doing Hesed. That's doing Hesed. So we spent the summer looking at God's character, his Hesed. And we've rejoiced and received the Hesed of God and we're very thankful for it. But we have to ask, well, so what? Now what? What do you want from us, God? What do you require of me? What do you look for in my life and in this church? What do you demand of me? What do you delight in when you find it in me? And God says clearly, I've told you. I've told you. I've showed you and I've told you. Do Hesed. Almighty God, you are a God of Hesed, a God of covenantal faithfulness, of mercy, of grace, of loving kindness, of covenantal devotion, of faithfulness, of patience. It's been a great journey for me to think about these things and how you express them throughout the Old Testament. But Lord, while we give you thanks for your hesed, we want to ask you that you would make us a people of hesed. That we would be a people. That I would be a man who does hesed. For the long haul. And for this, Holy Spirit, we need your strength. And so we ask you to grant it to us that when you search our hearts, when you examine our lives, you see not ritual, not form, but true Hesed. We pray through Christ our Savior and Lord, who's full of Hesed. Amen.